Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I'm joined by Jose Nino, an independent journalist and a new contributor to American Free Press. All right, Jose Nino, welcome to the program, sir. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, John. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me. You are an independent journalist. I know you host the El Nino Speaks podcast program, which I follow on my phone. I get the uh, I subscribe to the RSS feed, so I get the the podcast downloaded right to my phone. I find that's a, a very useful way of following podcast program. So I, I really enjoy your, your podcast program. And you also maintain a Substack page called Jose Nino Unfiltered. And I will have a link to your Substack page when I post this podcast program for listeners and readers to check out. And I also follow you on Twitter. And I know I've seen your articles published at Big League Politics. So you're quite a busy guy to say the least. And once again, I'll have links to your Substack page to your Twitter page, and also to your author page at Big League Politics um, when I post this podcast program. And you recently had your first article published in American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, and that article was published in the most recent edition of the paper, which went to the printer last Friday, and that is issue 35 and 36 the print edition of that issue is currently being mailed out to all of our subscribers as we speak. So be on the lookout for issue 35 and 36. It turned out to be excellent as they usually are. And let me just take a moment real quick uh, to encourage listeners out there who are not subscribing to the paper to please go out and pick up a subscription. American Free Press is America's last real newspaper, the last truly independent populist and dare I say, America First style print publication out there. So we could really use your support. I think you'll find it's a, a very quality product. We've got a number of great contributors. And given all the censorship that we see online these days, a print newspaper is more valuable than ever, I would say. So please support our work with a subscription. You can find all of the details at AmericanFreePress.net. So, Jose, since this is the first time you've been on the program and the first time that you've contributed to the newspaper, why don't we start off by having you just introduce yourself to our listeners and our readers. Can you talk about your experience and involvement in the alternative independent media and sort of, you know, how you got involved in this in this space? Yeah, I got into politics when I was like in my final years of high school uh, when I learned about former congressman Ron Paul and got into that whole libertarian paleo libertarian scene. And I became much more hardcore once I read about Pat Buchanan and other people in, in that space. And I did work for a gun lobby, the national association for gun rights as an email marketer and part-time lobbyist as well for a few years. And that's when I really got into writing uh, on the side and I also at work too because just owing to the fact that I was an email marketer and it became like second nature for me and 
I started writing up for outlets like Big League Politics, Gunpowder Magazine, which I still write for as well, those two, and branched out to like other <clears throat> websites such as like the Mises.org, the Mises Institute, and and I've covered a host of issues, not just guns, but also ranging from foreign policy, mass migration, political correctness, I call, uh, from a, like a much more like dissident right perspective and i've been a political animal for like the past 15 years and i see it as my calling and yeah i think like that's been like pretty much my career profile thus far as like an independent writer and i as you mentioned before i i have a sub stack and i still maintain most of like my content like wherever you see uh my content being published it's gonna maintain a pretty strong like dissident right type of theme to it yeah yeah there's no doubt about that i mean i've been uh following you i actually first heard you i think on james edwards podcast program the political cesspool and i was very impressed with what you had to say and i followed you on uh big league politics and of course i mentioned your Substack, and then also on twitter so you're definitely uh you're definitely a very talented writer a very talented journalist and um, so I, I guess kind of getting back to your sort of political philosophy, you started out like more as a libertarian. Have you sort of evolved or do you, do you still consider yourself a libertarian or how would you describe like your political ideology at this point? I'd say I've evolved and and it's not just like me because um, there have been some changes too in a lot of like the libertarian and conservative space over the past 10 years, especially with the rise of populism that has realigned the ideological spectrum on a host of issues like, say, like central banking and foreign policy. I'm as libertarian as it gets because I'm for ending the the military industrial complex, the bases overseas and, and these perpetual wars that the D.C. regime per prosecutes, in addition to abolishing like the Federal Reserve and like centralized banking. But on a host of cultural and identity issues. I'd say I'm more on like a dissident right, paleo-conservative slash nationalist space. That's been a point of contention in the American right, whether it's like a conservative, a conservative sphere or the libertarian sphere. You have seen some sharp divisions on those issues, and I think we're entering an era of more like <clears throat> identity type issues reigning supreme, and as a result. You're starting to see like more uh, different types of demarcations, and I, I find myself more on the on the cultural right and even identitarian right on these issues, and that's where I'd say I'd evolve. I still have I have like some heterodox views on certain economic topics as well, but I would say it's like definitely I'm still on the right, but I've probably gone a bit harder right on cultural and like social issues. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have sort of followed a similar path. Um, people like Christopher Cantwell, for example. I know he was, a, you know, big into the libertarian. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I mean, many, many others. But yeah, so it seems to be sort of a, a common theme among people, especially for, you know, libertarians that are um, not afraid to think critically and sort of deviate from traditional yeah. libertarian orthodox thinking. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people that have, that have sort friend. of made – yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I myself, I mean, I remember back in like, you know, when I was first kind of getting introduced to the, you know, independent alternative media online and, you know, reading, for example, I used to 
read Glenn Greenwald. He kind of has a libertarian streak to him. Um, and antiwar.com, that was a big, you know, anti-war type website, but also very much influenced by libertarian thinking and, and the Mises Institute you mentioned. And Ron Paul, I mean, I was a big Ron Paul supporter back in like 2012 and still, you know, have nothing but respect for the man. Yes. Despite, you know, some criticisms I may have of him. I mean, he's actually a, a pretty regular contributor to American Free Press as well. And he always has good things to say, generally speaking. So I kind of come from that same sort of thinking as well. But I would I like back in the day, I never really I was never really like dogmatic or like super into the libertarian economic ideas or political or philosophical ideas. I just found that they made a lot of sense when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to banking, when it comes to some of these economic issues. Um, but no, that's interesting. I think there's a, definitely a lot of overlap. And I think a lot of readers of American Free Press very much sympathize with, you know, a lot of the libertarian type ideas when it comes to economics and foreign policy, certainly. And there's a, a lot of supporters of Ron Paul that I know still read American Free Press. So I think uh, I think you got a good um, a good home here with the newspaper, given, mm. you know, your track record and stuff. So anyways, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I'd encourage people to check out, you know, your Substack and, and your Twitter and, and, you know, your page at a uh, Big League Politics, and of course, you know, your article in, in this recent issue of American Free Press, and I'm sure that we will be seeing much more from you in the future in the pages of American Free Press. So um, with all of that having been said, let's kind of jump in. I want to talk about this most recent issue and start off by talking about the front page story, which is a topic that you, is very familiar to you, very familiar to the readers of American Free Press and the listeners of this podcast and it's all about the weaponization of the Department of Justice and just law enforcement in general in this country. And the headline here is weaponized. Sorry, actually, let me get to the front page. The headline is weaponized government wages all out war against critics of the regime. And we've got that iconic mugshot of former President Donald Trump that was taken down in Georgia in this most recent indictment, which is just totally asinine. I can't even believe we're at this at this point in, in, in American political history, it's really quite astonishing. Every day it's like a, a some new outrage, and, and, and this is certainly up there with, with them. Um, I want to just read a couple uh, paragraphs and then get your response. And this article starts out, It was the mugshot heard round the world, appearing on the front pages of newspapers, multiple ca cable news programs, talk shows, and social media outlets. Former President Donald Trump's scowling mug has dominated headlines and social media feeds since he was arrested and arraigned once again, this time in Fulton County, Georgia. This marks the fourth indictment against the former president and leading GOP presidential contender for the 2024 election. Vindictive, politically motivated prosecutors at both the federal and state level have waged an all-out lawfare campaign against Trump in an effort to stymie his presidential run, a fact clearly recognized by many Americans and certainly Trump's supporters. And then we go in and talk about some of the previous indictments and just the total weaponization of the FBI and the federal government in general. So I'm curious. I mean, I'd like to get your reaction to this. I mean, I'm sure you read this piece and you're familiar with this issue. What do you make of this? For, I mean, one indictment is unprecedented, let alone a fourth um, at both the state level. I think the one in Georgia and New York are both at the state levels. And then there's two federal indictments, one in Florida, one in Washington, D.C. Um, I mean, I don't I'm not a lawyer. You know, I certainly 
can't really offer any legal advice or you know legal analysis of, of these um, indictments, but I, I do think that they are very dubious to say the least, and I think a lot of uh, prominent legal scholars would, would agree with that, including Jonathan Turley, who is uh, one, one of the top legal legal minds in the country, in my opinion, and he seems to think that a lot of these indictments are ex- extremely dubious to say the least. Although some of them might have some might have some teeth and, and some some legitimacy, it's just going to be a matter of how they play out in court. But I'm curious, what, what what did you make of this front page story and just this total weaponization of the DOJ? For me, this is the banana republicanization of U.S. politics, and I believe that we are. We have reached a point of no return where there's not going to be any more consensus politics in the U.S., meaning that you're not going to have very civil transfers of political power. You're going to see the normalization of political violence and the persecution of political opponents now because – the degree of cultural and like racial polarization in the U.S. has gotten so high that people um, now view political disputes as existential matters where the um, victors do everything possible to crush their opposition with complete disrespect of constitutional norms and practices. And to me, yes, this is that's a very good point. Round. This is just like the first round, in my opinion, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, that's a very good analysis of the situation. And and honestly, I think we've really seen this since 2015, 2016, the moment Trump stepped foot on the political stage. I mean, remember back in 2015 when he was holding these big rallies, you know, you'd show up and, and you'd have a chance of getting jumped, of getting – you know, feces and, and mm. urine thrown at you or of getting beat up or violently attacked. I mean, so this is something that's been going on really since Trump entered the political arena as a as a major presidential contender going back to 2015. We certainly saw that throughout the campaign season leading up to the 2016 election. We saw a genuine insurrection in the nation's capital when Trump was um, – oh, geez, I'm fi- what, what's the word? Um when he was basically, you know, took 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 over the White House in 2016, in January of 2016, or I guess it would have been 2017. I'm sorry, um, inaugurated. <laughs> sorry, that's the word I was looking for. You know, Trump's first inauguration. There were, I mean, th- th- this is terrorism. This was a genuine insurrection against the federal government, against against the the newly elected president. So th- this is something that I, I think has really been going on for the past two election cycles at this point. Yes. Yeah, uh, Donald Trump's election will be seen as like the watershed moment um, where American politics um, has forever changed because I've already argued that he is like the avatar of the white working class that has been dispossessed by the myriad of policies ranging from mass migration, never-ending wars, and <clears> – <throat> Uh, so-called free trade deals that have just left this segment of the population completely behind. And elites hate this class altogether. Go from read like columns in the Los Angeles Times all the way to the New York Times. The journalists, the bien pensants, and 
the broader political class in the DC swamp just does not like middle America. And as a result of that, um, they do see like the rise of Trump as an existential threat to their multicultural anti-white globalist project. And they're going to do whatever it takes, whether it's extra political or using flagrant abuse of political power to make um, to prevent like Trump um, in the current state trying to um, receive the nomination or prevent any future populist leaders from rising up. And I'd also like to mention, too, one thing that has also changed um, with the election of Trump is the days of, like, the free open source, like, internet, where, like, ideas can be freely discussed and you can have, like, your own platforms and all of that. That is also um, going the way of the dodo, thanks to um, the consolidation of big tech and really active efforts um, carried out by big tech to censor dissenting voices. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that on full display right now with this, you know, conflict between Elon Musk and the ADL, which is a topic that we're definitely going to be covering in much more detail in the next issue of American Free Press. So be on the lookout for that. That's a, one of the top stories, you know, as we're doing this podcast, in my opinion, and it's going to be, it's going to remain a top story. And you're right. You're making a lot of excellent points and, you know, one issue that we've really been trying to emphasize in the newspaper um, and, and have have done for a number of years now are just these incredible, like brazen, blatant double standards when it comes to law enforcement and just the priorities of the Department of Justice, of the FBI. I mean, quote unquote, white supremacists and quote unquote, domestic extremists are endlessly promoted as like this major threat to the country, a major threat to American democracy. And as you mentioned, I think that Trump basically, at least to these people, these, you know, these deep state, you know, anti-white, anti-American criminals that are largely controlling the government and the media, they do view Trump as an avatar of, of white America, of quote unquote domestic extremists who are basically just patriotic Americans that disagree with the, with the Democrats now, so we hear this endless talk about white supremacy and domestic extremism. Meanwhile, criminals are literally running amok in virtually every major American city across this country. The border continues to remain wide open with endless streams of people from the third world, including many military-aged young men, just you know, continue to pour into our country with these very dubious and far-fetched claims of, you know, political asylum or, you know, they, they say they're seeking refugee status, you know, and, and not to mention, I mean, we see homeless people pile up on the sidewalks of virtually every major city across the country. Antifa and BLM terrorists continue to largely escape legal consequences for their many crimes that they've committed in recent years. Now, that's not to mention the crime ring literally running the White House, epitomized by the president himself and his son. I mean, we, we, again, it's I guess it's sort of the same topic, but what do you make of this just brazen, you know, these brazen double standards when it comes to law enforcement? I mean, people are recognizing this, and it, it's it's just like, it almost seems like, what can you even do at this point? It's like so obvious and so unjust. I mean, we'll get into the FBI and some of their more recent shenanigans, but... This whole situation is just totally outrageous. The uh, what we're seeing here is what the late 
great San Francisco labeled as anarcho-tyranny. This is the standard operating procedure of the managerial regime that is lording over us, where, crimi where real criminals are allowed to run loose and terrorize the law-abiding, whereas the law-abiding get subjected uh, to cri like criminal punishment for like the the most like minor of infractions, um, like not complying with COVID-19 mandates, social distancing, whatever, for example, or like an Amish farmer who didn't like fill out like some like paperwork or was engaging in some type of agricultural practice that bureaucrats at the state or like federal level um, are angry about. And this, uh, this type of anarcho-tyrannical policy really, when you um, peel it back, it is uh, designed specifically to award certain criminal constituencies that form part of like the Democrats and the broader um, globalist managerial regime while punishing more often than not many of the segments of the middle American population. Because if you look at most of these targets, they often are like small medium-sized business owners or just people going about their like everyday lives and they happen to have very like nationalist views and are very skeptical of the present regime in dc so when we when we look at it from a power political standpoint anarcho tyranny is used for a specific political aim and more often than not it is used to like de facto ethnically cleanse many cities and jurisdictions of like potential like middle American resistance and other actors that are more likely to stand up um, against the present regime. And in effect, they get replaced with, with like illegal and legal migrants that are not going to resist the present political order. So there is like a type of like ethnic cleansing policy actually go on, going on in many cities nationwide and it's facilitated by the anarcho uh, tyrannical policies ranging from open borders to soft on crime approaches to criminal justice yeah yeah absolutely very well said well i mean i, I think this whole concept of anarcho tyranny i mean this is again something we've we've covered in american free press pretty extensively i know our friend james edwards actually wrote a whole piece about it i think the previous issue um, and, and I mean, yeah, again, it's it's very much on display. I think that probably the most blatant, most outrageous example of it is the case against the McMichael family down in Georgia and their encounter with Ahmaud Aubrey, who is presented in the media as this like innocent jogger who didn't do anything wrong, who was, you know, targeted by these quote unquote white supremacists for simply jogging in their neighborhood. Of course, that whole entire narrative was 100 percent false. And I actually did an interview with Lee McMichael a couple months ago and, you know, got into some of the details of the case. And it's just, I mean, it's incredible what has happened in this family. And this is something that as you're, you know, as you sort of were alluding to is becoming increasingly more and more common where the entire weight of the federal state and local criminal justice system will come down upon a guy like Travis and, and Greg McMichael who are simply a, a, attempting to, not necessarily even apprehend, but, it, you know, just approach a criminal suspect 
and, and allow for the police to come and, and, and make an arrest or at least do an investigation. And yet, and, and meanwhile, as they're doing this, this guy attacks him and he, and he has a gun. I mean, the whole situation is just incredible. But this is one of many examples. And you're right, the, the law has been totally flipped on its head and used to punish regular average American citizens while these criminals basically run amok. I mean, very rarely do any of these Antifa or BLM terrorists get prosecuted for their many, many crimes, not to mention the high-level Democrats that have, you know, engaged in one crime spree after another in our nation's capital. It's just outrageous. And this gets into um, a topic that you wrote about in your first article for American Free Press, which, as I mentioned, I, th I think hopefully this will be one of many going forward. Um, you are a pretty good writer and a very dedicated journalist. And your article was published on page four of issue 35 and 36, the most recent, uh, sorry, the most recent uh, print edition, which I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And the title is FBI goes on nationwide murder spree, and you document several recent cases of FBI agents actually killing American citizens in these very sort of mysterious and 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 dubious raids and encounters with targets of the of the FBI basically now shockingly this was to me was was amazing. i mean i probably shouldn't be surprised at this point but it is sort of a scandal i think i mean shockingly aside from a few voices in the independent media and the political dissident community including the national justice party which you mentioned in this article i've really not seen this issue covered in any great depth and it's certainly a topic worth discussing given how totally weaponized and out of control and unaccountable the FBI has become in recent years, especially under Biden. So do you want to talk about your article? I, I know you mentioned, I think it was like three or four different recent instances within the past month and a half or so where FBI agents have actually killed American citizens during these raids or encounters with, you know, just again, American citizens, you know, being investigated by the FBI. Yes, um, I've um, long argued, and this is one thing, uh, one position I have maintained throughout my entire political career, irrespective of my um, changes in poli uh, political beliefs, is that um, there is a strong degree of complacency across the American political spectrum when it comes to these alphabet agencies, namely the FBI above all, where people treat these um, these institutions like they're innocuous, harmless government bodies that just operate in the background and uphold the public interest. This could not be further from the truth when you peel back the onion. First off, they're unconstitutional. We've never had an FBI. Uh, the U.S., Never had like uh, didn't have an FBI for nearly, I'd say, almost like 150 years and like the first like 150 years of this like nation's founding, more or less, give or take. And then with the creation of this, you now have a federal um, law enforcement body that has naturally grown in power and functions as a de facto secret police. Now there's just no denying it with the way. It has um, <clears throat> been carrying out these latest hits against people that, um, generally speaking, tend to fit in the category of um, 
Trump supporters or at least like uh, right wing dissidents to the regime. And we're seeing now, especially since the election of Donald Trump, government agencies are showing their true colors. You could have maybe made the case a few decades ago that government agencies were functioning in a more neutral manner and whatnot. I've argued that that's really not the case. But now it's become so um, blatant because of the of the Trump moment. It is seen as an existential threat, and the regime is responding to it in um, the manner that all tyrannical regimes respond to potential challengers. And I think that it's very um, important that we make the case that the FBI is not a friend of middle America. And this is not like an institution that can really be reformed. If anything, we need to be the, the most like pragmatic and gradualistic policies when dealing with the FBI is start talking about defunding and ultimately abolishing this blight of uh, uh, this institution that this is a blight on this Republic. And right. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. there are, there, there have been a few sort of renegade <clears throat> Republicans that have called yeah. for, for potentially defunding or, or, you know, disbanding the FBI, but yeah, no, this should be a, a consensus opinion among Republicans, certainly, but even Democrats, I mean, the agency is totally out of control, totally unaccountable. And the FBI has been out of control for a very long time, including under former president Trump a fact that I sort of pointed out in that front page story of this issue. I mean, the FBI was largely behind the enti- totally entirely manufactured Russian collusion narrative, which I think has been more or less proven to be, you know, this political dirty trick envisioned and orchestrated by the Clinton campaign going back to 2015, 2016, and then implemented by elements of the deep state and their enablers in the mass media including the FBI itself. I mean, the FBI played a key role in this whole, you know, scandal, basically. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, This is a very corrupt institution, uh, regardless of who's in office. And that's why I think that we have to start uh, talking about structural issues more so than basic partisan issues, because there really should be a transpartisan push against the FBI. Because there was once a point in American history where the FBI was infiltrating leftist groups and where like the uh the left and liberals were skeptical of the fbi but it's totally gone about face with the election of donald trump which has created this bizarro world type of um political ecosystem where it seems more and more that the right especially the dissident right is the one that's uh talking about dismantling these institutions but um yeah i think it's very important to highlight these um cases of abuse because it is a critical part of disabusing the American populace that the pre- of like the idea that this regime represents them. It doesn't. It's a self-serving regime that represents very narrow interest groups that I believe are hostile to the historic American nation and seek to undermine it at, at every chance it gets. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's pretty clear at this point. Well, your piece, you start off by talking about this very mysterious raid against Craig Robertson, who was like this disabled, very overweight, older guy. I think he was 75 years old. Um, he was in – I know he lived in Utah, and the FBI had previously made contact with him about some stuff he had been posting on, I think, Facebook 
or his social media account, you know, in general. I'm not sure if it was exactly Facebook or or what platform he was using, but here was a guy, I mean, basically disabled, you know, could barely walk, you know, all of the testimony from some of his neighbors and friends that I've heard, everybody had, you know, nothing but good things to say about this guy. He was not a threat to anybody, according to these people or according to anything that I've read. And yet FBI agents showed up at his house early in the morning, right? I mean, this was like a pre-dawn raid, um, very unnecessary, very um, over-the-top tactics, I think you could say, um, and and ultimately killed this man. Do you want to kind of fill us, you know, fill in some of the details here? Yeah, uh, um, this case uh, was actually like pretty shocking in many respects because um, what uh, uh, struck out, what stuck out to me was the fact that the FBI actually visited him prior, like a few days prior um, to talk to him about um, his, like the posts he made like on Truth Social and other social media outlets. And initially the encounter between him and the FBI um, was peaceful. Uh, He even explicitly stated that like he had no intention of harming anyone, but he still stood his ground and said that like, that if the FBI wants to come back, they need to come back with a warrant. And a st- uh, initially, it looked like the agents left the scene without escalating that situation any further. But that changed a few days um, later when they just deployed a SWAT team and um, uh, killed this guy, um, claiming that he posed like a threat and whatnot just because of the fact that he has – a decent size collection of legally owned firearms. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the excuse. Well, and you know, he was a big supporter of the Second Amendment and you know, our right to own and, and possess firearms. So they use that sort of as, a, as an excuse to launch this very, uh, again, un- totally unnecessary in my opinion, based on what I know of the of the case. This was not necessary to, to use a SWAT team to come, you know, basically break this guy's door down. It was totally outrageous. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, to me, um, me, this is me speculating. I think this was definitely done to send a message. Um, this is like a hit, like in many respects, because um, it will create kind of, it will create a chilling effect um, with respect to gun owners who are vocal about their political beliefs, because um, it's it's an open secret that the DC regime views millions of law-abiding gun owners as like threats as like domestic domestic terrorist threats and all it takes is just one person to say something that like riles up some like social media censorship apparatchik to like justify like a hit and um they specifically targeted this guy because he fits the bill for what i'd say is an archetypical Trump supporter or at least an archetypical member of like the right. And we are um and Well and, and also he was a very it seems to me anyways a very easy target. I mean, as I mentioned, this guy was he was seventy five years old, I think. Yeah. Very overweight, disabled. I mean he this guy was not really posing any threat to anybody, frankly. Oh yeah. And no that's how depraved these elites are. They go after the weak. They um yeah, because yeah. yeah. Big time. Well, one thing that struck me, and, and again, it goes to this, the, the total, complete, like, 
unaccountable nature of the FBI. I mean, this happened and I haven't really seen any reports about it. I mean, what is the FBI's story? What, how did this guy end up dying? I mean, they claim that he had a firearm in his possession, I think when they were, you know, raiding his house, which is understandable if your house is getting raided and you don't know what's going on, of course, you're going to try to defend yourself, which again, this whole situation was totally unnecessary, but really there, there's no body camera footage. I mean, you make a point in, in the article that apparently the FBI, you know, when they're doing these raids, they're not required to wear nope. body camera footage like many local and state police are. So we really don't know exactly what transpired. And can we even trust what the FBI is going to have to say about this in the future? I, I mean, I'm very skeptical of nope. official pronouncements by the FBI. Yeah, exactly. So just the, the total, totally like unaccountable nature of the FBI is is something to behold. And, and again, you mentioned how traditionally, historically, the left has been very skeptical of these unaccountable, out of control, arguably criminal federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies, the CIA, the FBI. Now they're their biggest cheerleaders because they're targeting their political opponents. Yes. And I'm actually very disappointed too with large segments of the right as well. Uh, more mainstream right that has grown a bit more adjacent to the populist movement, but haven't, hasn't made the full jump, the full leap towards our, our side of the political aisle because they just haven't been talking about this issue. Um, like, if you're in the Trump space, this is something that should be at, like, at least in your top three to top five issues to be talking about right now. Right. Because the current regime is targeting Trump supporters. And I, um, people will say, oh, this is just like a one-off incident, but I think there is a logic to it. It's going to snowball into something much, much bigger. And if we don't start talking about this, we could be looking at even bigger crackdowns further down the line that could turn into like massive tragedies here. So it's it would behoove many people to start talking about like the FBI's abuses and its lack of transparency because right. what we're dealing well, with here is likely a secret police that's designed to clamp down on the right. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, again, th there's a history of this with the FBI and with federal law enforcement and intelligence more generally. I mean, look at Waco. Look at Ruby. Yeah, Ridge. Waco. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's you know there's precedent for this, and it's. It's, it's really at a point now where it's like totally out of control. I want to read your conclusion to this article because I think it really kind of summarizes um, the issue and, and, and what needs to be done in, in a very powerful way. You write here, as of late, the FBI has grown increasingly politicized and has now morphed into de facto secret police for the liberal elite dominating the political class in Washington, D.C., the silence of many elected officials with respect to this latest string of raids and the FBI's tyrannical transformation has been deafening. Few elected officials, save for representatives Matt Gates and Thomas Massey, both Republicans, by the way, have called for the agency's defunding, much less the abolition of the increasingly out of control and unaccountable organization. However, with the rise of right-wing populism in America, the FBI's judgment day will eventually come. 
as Americans increasingly lose faith in their public institutions, it's only a matter of time when a new political order emerges to sweep away the previous class that allowed the FBI to operate with impunity for so long. That day is hopefully rapidly approaching. And that's a very, very powerful way to conclude the article. And it, it, it sort of leads into another topic. And, and the, the, but I mean, we've talked about Trump and what he's going through and, um, you know, these outrageous politically driven, you know, indictments leveled against him. We've, we've, you know, we talked about it previously. And there's a number of articles in this issue of American Free Press dealing with this, with this, uh, with this very topic. Um, and, and not only, you know, is Trump dealing with all these politically motivated indictments, wouldn't you know that there's now a new COVID variant right in time for the upcoming election? Um, and, and, you know, this is a topic that <clears throat> we covered in the in the most recent issue of American Free Press. Ron Paul actually wrote a, a very interesting column about how, you know, the media is, you know, hyping this alleged COVID variant, um, which, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, at least from my perspective, that this alleged quote-unquote pandemic going back to 2020, um, I think it was – I'm, I'm very much convinced that this entire situation was designed to help facilitate the undermining of our voting laws and the ultimate theft of the 2020 election in favor of Biden. I don't know if you have any comments on that or what you think about that, but that's basically my take. And it plays right into these, this ongoing political saga with Trump. And if he were to get back into office, would he actually take the gloves off and deal – with these out-of-control rogue agencies, the FBI, the CIA, the deep state more generally. Yeah, I saw the whole Wuhan virus saga as, yeah, um, I agree with your point that it was used by the political class to usher in a um, all, all manner of like weird election laws and measures that um, hurt populist candidates like Trump. It also facilitated, in my opinion, the largest corporate consolidation that I've seen in my lifetime, where countless small businesses and medium-sized businesses got destroyed. Um, as far as like Trump being able to go reward these agencies, it's gonna be a tall order, to be honest, because he needs to have like a not only like a staff like team that's like very competent that knows how to like got these uh, these agencies and reduced their power, but he's going to need help in Congress in both chambers of the House and the Senate because this kind of the um, like defunding and abolishing these agencies or at least like hamstringing them. It's going to take a pretty broad based push that goes beyond one man. And what we we saw during the Trump administration is that the U.S. has a permanent bureaucracy that in many respects um, almost like overrides both the executive and like the legislative branches. And regardless of who's like in power, whether it's like a Democrat or Republican, the presidency, or if like Republicans take control of Congress or whatever, seems that it's like business as usual on like the key issues that matter, whether it's mass migration, foreign policy, central banking and all that. And yeah, there, like, there's like, there's like an establishment consensus on these big, yeah. These bigger, broader issues, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and Trump is the really one of the only ones that's challenging any of these yeah. narratives, yeah. Big time. 
Yeah, and I think like this permanent bureaucracy would absolutely make the founding generation roll over in their graves because they they warned um they like that's the thing about like Thomas Jefferson and them they warned about the dangers of having a very expansive state because it starts to have a life of its own and it actually undermines like the very republican institutions that we have where you actually like vote for representatives that are supposed to like uphold your interests and pass legislation or repeal bad legislation to promote uh, freedom and all that and maintain order. But because of the fact we have this like permanent bureaucracy, um, it has increasingly rendered a lot of these politicians like useless or um, these politicians are just only in office to extract like the the loot that they're able to confiscate from the american taxpayer yeah right it's like just a big grift basically there's no sense of integrity or honor or decency or actually trying to do the right thing yeah i think that's that's a big problem in in our society in general is a total lack of virtue and this is something that i know for example john adams wrote about very eloquently among other founding fathers is you know we established this constitutional republic you know you can only maintain and keep it if you have a a solid christian foundation and there's a sense of virtue in society and that has totally been thrown out the window certainly in in recent years but i would argue even going back to you know world war one world war two and 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 probably even earlier than that so yeah no we got it we got a big problem and trump is definitely going to have i mean assuming he's even able to get back in the white house he is definitely going to have his work cut out for him, and I think that was a big problem with his first, his first term is he just had no, no genuine support, and he made all sorts of very boneheaded appointments, and he surrounded himself with people that were openly hostile to his agenda, which frankly made no sense to me, and was something that Ann Coulter, for example, was hammering home from day one. It's like, look, you you ran on this very populist America First platform. And yet you get into office and you appoint all these people that want nothing to do with that, <laughs> that are actively opposed to any of these policies. So um, anyways, um, I, I, you know, I, speaking of the whole COVID thing, I mean, you kind of talked about your, you know, your thoughts about it in general, how it was used certainly to facilitate this, you know, theft of the election. I think I would say, I don't know if you'd go that far, but I think that's absolutely what happened. Um, I'm curious, what, what do you think about the whole vaccine issue? Because, uh, Trump has been and and really continues to be one of the biggest champions of the COVID vaccines, and it's something he prides himself in. He you know he prides his first administration in accomplishing, um, which of course cost billions of dollars of you know from the U.S. Treasury paid directly to these big pharma companies. I mean they profited tremendously throughout this entire quote unquote pandemic. Um, meanwhile, many people who have taken these vaccines have been very seriously injured. They've had terrible side effects. Some have even died as a result of taking these vaccines. And this is a big, you know, very, very controversial emotional issue. Um, but the vaccines have been proven that they don't even work. I mean, you take the vaccine and two months later, you yourself have quote unquote COVID, whatever that is. So I'm curious, I mean, what, what do you make of like Trump's strategy with this whole vaccine situation and the way he i don't know if he's been doing it lately but i know he has traditionally been like you know using the vaccine as like a big accomplishment or something when it seems like most of his base is very skeptical of it anyways um so um 
I'm actually like a son of two pharmacists, so I've always been very skeptical of the pharmaceutical industry as well as my parents. And um, wow, that's interesting. I did not know that. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. But um, I don't know the exact like science behind these COVID vaccines, but anytime. I see these weird actors promote it and they start trying to like get government mandates for it. I'm naturally going to be skeptical of it. I mean, people can take whatever treatment they want or whatever, whether it's like natural or whatnot. But like, um, I do believe that the American populace needs to have a, a much more healthy dose of skepticism towards what big pharma is promoting these days. Cause I think that whole industry is is designed to um, keep people sick and keep yes, them on this, 100%. this health this health hamster wheel where they take like one medicine and then that medicine generates like a whole list of other side effects that which require more pharmaceutical intervention and that's just like a never ending cycle of spending money on a bunch of drugs when they could they need to just get like their health right um, in general and um. I think that Trump, why he might be promoting it, is that he probably still has a lot of old order thinking when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry, that which is like typical of politicians in his generation. And um, because at the end of the day, I I, um, I see Trump as like the closest approximation to our dissident right interest, but he's not necessarily like fully on board, probably on issues such as like vaccines um which really um has grown in the skepticism towards it has grown in steam in the um in recent decades owing to alternative media that has done more research on the issue and has become to uh uh, started to offer like a different narrative to what big pharma is pushing but um, yeah no that's that's well said yeah yeah and I, but I am very skeptical of what's being promoted now um, these days. And I think this whole talk of like a new COVID uh, variant, um, I think this is like another way that the DC regime is going to justify another power, power grab. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's it's only all too convenient when you know we got this election coming up, and and a little bit over a year from now. I mean, it's just who even what 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 confuses me is like who is even looking at. Anything, a guy like Anthony Fauci or, or Biden or any of these people in the media, any of these public health experts, who is viewing anything they're saying with any sort of legitimacy? I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, it's, it's baffling to me. I mean, they've lied about so much. They've been wrong about so much. And all of this is very clearly um, politically motivated, right? I mean, that, that seems pretty obvious at this point. So I just, I just don't trust what these people are saying about virtually anything. And I think there's a lot more people like that. And, and we have every reason not to trust what they're saying about, you know, the, the COVID vaccines or COVID in general or a whole other range of issues, whether it's the war in Ukraine or or anything else. So the whole system is, is really losing legitimacy. And I think that, um, you know, o- opens up a lot of p- potential for the alternative media, for dissident voices to, to, to gain more traction. And I think Trump, again, has played a key role in facilitating this sort of development, just people losing trust in the media, losing trust in their political institutions, losing trust in their law enforcement institutions, which is very, very sad because America has always been a very, you know, by the book, law and order type society. But that is that is increasingly not the case anymore. 
Yeah, I, I think that we're, like I said before, we're entering a really, like, dark age of U.S. politics that's going to get really, like, nasty, where the elites are going mask off with what they're what they want to do to middle America, and they're engaging in an existential struggle where the end goal is, like, elimination, in my opinion. Right. Not to sound hyperbolic, but that's what they're aiming for and i think the right needs to be prepared for all like the stuff they're going to try to throw at us yeah absolutely um i wanted to bring up one final article in this most recent issue to discuss and of course it ties into this whole idea of the weaponization of the the doj and law enforcement in general um and that is i don't know if you caught this or i'm sure you heard about the story but we covered it in american free press um, and that is the, the Department of Justice suing Elon Musk and his company SpaceX. And I got to say, when I first heard about this, I swear, I almost I, I couldn't even believe it. I thought it was like, you know, a parody or like a meme or like somebody, yeah. somebody like making fun of like Biden or something like from the Babylon Bee, for example. And then I'm like reading more into it. And I mean, I'm go, I'm on like the DOJ's website reading their press release about it. And I'm just like dumbfounded. Biden's DOJ is suing SpaceX, which is this major American company that designs and manufactures rockets and other spacecraft and has a very close working relationship with the Pentagon. And they're suing them for only hiring American citizens and other legal residents. And yes, you did hear that right. They're being sued because they only hire American citizens and other legal residents. The DOJ is arguing basically that SpaceX has discriminated against asylum seekers and refugees in its hiring practices. I mean, you cannot make this up. This is just talk about clown world. I mean, these are the priorities of Biden's America last justice department is suing major corporations that again, have very close ties to the government, very close ties to the Department of Defense that are doing very sophisticated research and, and you know, technological development. Um, and they want to bring a federal lawsuit against them for not hiring refugees and asylum seekers. Give me a break. Well, yeah, Clown World is the best way to describe it, John. And yeah, I think that this uh, this shows another point here that the regime doesn't like uh, Elon Musk. There's a lot to say about Musk. Not I'm not the biggest fan, but he does represent like somewhat of an obstacle to, uh, towards their agenda. And the fact that he's a white South African like doesn't help because the South African white South Africans have been a group that has been vilified by the globalist international media and. Yeah, I I think like it's no like open secret that any major corporation in the U.S. these days tends to be a massive booster of mass migration, and they try to diversify their workforce, which is euphemism for getting rid of as many whites and the white males in their workforce as possible, and replacing them with all all manner of like uh, migrant groups or any other so-called disadvantaged group or persecuted group, and. I think this is part for the course of how like this regime operates, where they will punish any business that is simply not complying with these anti-white standards. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty outrageous. And like I said, when I first saw this, I was like, I almost couldn't even. I mean, I, I literally couldn't even believe it. It was just so outrageous. And Musk was, you know, Musk was like commenting it, commenting about it on Twitter or, or now it's called X, I guess. Um, and and I mean, he was even admitting like, look, we were told by people in the federal government that we could not hire anybody that wasn't a permanent resident or like a, an actual American citizen because it would violate international arms trafficking laws, given the nature of what SpaceX does, given the contracts they have with the Pentagon and with, you know, the federal government more generally. So, I mean, <laughs> the whole situation is just ridiculous and it shows the priorities. I mean, the DOJ is so concerned about Elon Musk and SpaceX not hiring refugees and asylum seekers. They want to file a federal lawsuit against them. You know, meanwhile, there's all, any number of other problems they could be addressing. So, I mean, it's very revealing and, and just shows you how out of, again, out of the main theme we've been emphasizing throughout this entire conversation and the main theme we've been reporting on in American Free Press is just how out of control the federal government has become, certainly and especially under President Biden. And, um, you know, it's no secret. It's not some crazy conspiracy theory. All you have to do is go to the Department of Justice's website and read their press release about this lawsuit. I mean, it's outrageous. Oh, so, yes. yeah, go ahead. Totally crazy. Yeah, I um, I think this is par for the course. And it, it demonstrates the anarcho-tyranny as well because right. yeah. uh, Department of Justice could be handling tons of sex trafficking, um, illegal immigration, drug cartel cases, but they choose not to and instead they focus – on these matters, which are highly political in nature because they go against people that oppose the present political order. Right. Or they could be investigating all these uh, shady deals with the Biden crime family and, you know, these plutocrats in Ukraine and, and other parts of the, you know, other countries throughout the world. Um, but no, their priorities are targeting Elon Musk, um, targeting People like this gentleman in Provo, Utah, who had his court, his door kicked down and, and was killed by the FBI. These are the priorities of the federal government and of the Biden administration. And it's outrageous. It, it couldn't be more obvious. And, you know, as, as you wrote in, in your in your piece, the, the political it, – it, it's time for a change, basically. And, and I think it's, it, it's coming. It's a matter of time. You know, I don't know if Trump is going to be the person to do it, but – it's only a matter of time before this reign of tyranny ends finally. Yep. So, well, we'll, we'll continue to report on it in American Free Press and, and try to get this information out as best we can to the American people. And, um, Jose, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Keep up the good work. You know, we're looking forward to future articles in American Free Press from you. And like I mentioned at the beginning, I will have links to your other um, social media and, and other platforms where you publish um, so yeah, man, thanks for uh, taking the time to speak with me and, and we'll stay in touch and do this again. Oh, uh, no problem, John. I had a blast chatting with you. Okay. Take care, man. I'll talk to you soon.